G'day, everybody. Uh, welcome. It's the coach, and we are talking all things Sylvaneth. We've had a couple of false starts with this episode, but I'm really excited to have not Laurie's fault. That's not your false start. We've we've tried to get this episode up and running a few times, but we are talking all things Sylvaneth. We are. I'm excited about this episode. We Laurie was one of my original guests uh, when we did the faction focus when the battle tome had just dropped, and Laurie you know, has run Sylvaneth for a long time and very successfully and competitively. He's come seventh at Blood uh, Brotherhood, which is a 100, 100 plus 130 player event. Uh, you came 10th at Bloodshed in the Shire. You came third at the grand final of Age of Sigmar at Warhammer World. You know, your accolades as a Sylvaneth player just continues on and on and on. And I, I keep getting a lot of requests. People are like, how do I build Sylvaneth competitively in the current meta? People just aren't running it. So I'm super excited to, uh, to, to I guess, introduce Laurie. Uh, welcome. Morning, Coach. Yeah, hello, everyone. Um, if Coach looks a little bit uh, older, it's because I'm 15 minutes late and I've given him a mini heart attack this morning. So apologies to anyone who is expecting us going out on the dot. Um, but now I join you from my sunny garden in Surrey uh, with a tree uh, well, other way around uh, behind me just to show that I'm in nature. But um, yeah, thanks for those kind words. As you say, I've been playing Sylvanet for um, yeah, since I started Age of Sigma, basically, seeing them go through the different handbooks and the different two different um, rule books as well. And yeah, stuck through them through thick and thin and tried to adapt with them as much as possible. And you're right, I had a really good run um, of, I went uh, five and one at finals, four and one at face hammer, four and one at blood tie, uh, sorry, uh, bloodshed in the shires. And then, yeah, also four and one at brotherhood, which was, of course, a team event, but still uh, took Sylvan after that as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm quite experienced with them. And, and you're right, they're, a, they're an army which feel a little bit behind the meta at times, but I still think they can, well, I think I've proved that they still can adapt and still can play well. And I, I'm excited because I'm, I'm just looking at your rankings on uh, the Bad Dice ranking system for the UK. And I think, you know, I'm reading your first you know, official Sylvaneth event was uh, February 2017. So if we look at how long you've been playing with Sylvaneth for, it's a long time. And the book has evolved a lot. I remember playing, uh, you know, friend of my channel, Liam, uh, he's a big Sylvaneth player or was a big Sylvaneth player. And when it very first started, it was about putting the woods on the table. It was about getting uh, a one-drop tr one list. And it, then it kind of evolved to flooding the board with dryads. Um, and this book's kind of just kept evolving over time. And a lot of Sylvaneth players have been really keen to know how do they build a, a Sylvaneth list in the current meta. I think last time we spoke, you know, we, we kind of predicted that Kurnoff Hunters would be the, I guess, the hotness. We'd move from Dryads to Kurnoffs. But I'd love to. And, and what we will do is we will unpack two of your lists. Um, you've submitted two lists. And we'll kind of understand a little bit more about how you're building for the current meta as well as what you've done successfully and is it Kurnoth Hunters? Because I know I built like 15 Kurnoth Hunters and I'm like, yes, Heartwood, I'm just going to run in with 15 Kurnoth Hunters. Probably not good for holding objectives, but Kurnoth Hunters are sweet. But enough about me. How did you get into Age of Sigma? Uh, so um, as you say, my roots are about three years ago. I started getting into Age of Sigma. Um, I'd played 8th edition down in Dorset with the uh, Doggers lot, uh, uh, which is Paul Buckler uh, and the people who live around, around uh, him and attend his club. Um, and then fell out of love with it a little bit, as a lot of us did when it went from 8th to Sigma. The army I had taken 
in eighth edition uh, didn't work in the same way, and so I had to adjust to uh, Sigma. Uh, and I went to a one day down in Dorset, run by Chris Tomlin at Weymouth, one of his little one days, uh, Rainer Stars, I think it was. Uh, Paul Buckler lent me a really ragtag army. Uh, I think I had RK on in it, uh, some plague bearers, but it wasn't anything particularly good. Not, not at all, because um, we could do that. Back no, in the day, right? God, like, that'd be that. You could be just good. like that. Uh, that would have been good. That would be good. Well, four generals handbook, you like. Hashtag it's my narrative. I do whatever just, I want. And just yeah, he got lost in some words. Exactly that, yeah. Um, you just you convert him a little bit, give him a, a stick or something like that. Uh, but yeah, whilst there, I saw um, Aaron Bailey, um, who's an excellent painter, and he painted a really beautiful Sylvanoff army. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, I, th I think even I could paint that. You know, that looks like something which I'd enjoy painting and would suit my kind of level of painting. So actually, the original reason I got into Sylvanoff was kind of painting reasons, which I know will make a lot of people who know me really scoff at the idea that I got, I bought an army because I thought I could paint it well. But um, yeah, that was what I initially got. And then once I, once I started playing them, I really, really fell in love with the army. I like the way it plays. And so that's what's kept me come, coming back to it. Because I've doubled with other armies. I've doubled with Daughters of Cain. I've doubled with Corn in the past. But I always come back to Sylvanoff just because I, I do love the way it plays at its core. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful army. It's a great army that people are enjoying from a, a hobby perspective. It's an army that is just generally fun. Um, I know it causes some frustration at times, especially I remember tournaments having to bring uh, some tournaments mandated with the old wide woods. You had to bring the woods and the bases, and that was certainly a treat to do. Um, but it's a fun army. I have my own Sylvaneth army. I do have 2K. And if it wasn't literally for Cities of Sigma, I'd be playing Sylvaneth right now. I had committed and I, I'm like, yes, I'm going to build a realm of metal Sylvaneth army. I was going to have them like, you know, golds and silvers. And uh, I literally built, so I picked up the book on pre-order. I built it. And then that afternoon there was, I think it might have been the Nova or there was, an, there was some particular yeah. preview. And literally, I hadn't even unwrapped my battle tome yet. And they announced it as a Sigma. I'm like, I'm done. Sorry. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Your first love comes back. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit hard. But uh, it is a sweet army, and I'm really keen to talk to you about it. Maybe you will reignite my passion again for all things trees. But what specifically so – you, you, you talked about painting, drawing you to the army. What What are the strengths? If you were to talk to me about this book for the first time and how you see this army versus the other armies in Age of Sigma – what are the strengths to, uh, that Sylvaneth bring to the table? Um, so a few of the core strengths. Uh, first of all, um, you've got, yeah, um, you've still got a level of manoeuvrability that a lot of armies don't have. Now, that's certainly declined from the old battle tome, but you still do have it there, and you can lean into that if you want to, as to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, you still can ultimately place woods across the entire board uh you can with the spell which we've got you can do that through portals and in theory uh if you've got a branch wraith or a branch witch on a bailwind with portals next to them you can literally put a wildwood wherever you want on the board and teleport whatever you want through that wildwood so you still got massive maneuverability and you can combine that with uh dreadwood which of course lets you teleport anywhere on the board uh, or tree evidence which let you teleport anywhere on the board as well by themselves so the army still at its core has got a lot of options for maneuverability i still do think it's an army which plays scenarios better than 
90% of the armies out there, basically. You can, if you are the kind of player like myself, who does love a game where you're just focused relentlessly on racking up those points um, and not really focused on um, on killing, then it's an army which really does that. Um, if you look at my kill points from those uh, events I did really well in, uh, finals, face hammer, etc. My kill points are tiny. I think I got about yeah. 5k kill points on average at each of them uh, because I'm not never going to wipe out the other army like that's not not the way the army plays in my opinion um instead you i was really focused on just just getting those points racking up and, and playing a delaying tactic at times um like quite often i'd trade my my 600 points of sides for like 300 points of my enemy but i knew that that was getting me the points which would make it very hard for my opponent to come back to me uh, alongside that you've you've still got some units in the book which are real winners in terms of points i mean like we we were a, a a battle tone which can put 180 points um on the table uh, in three units of spice and have a battle line ticked so like you yeah. can get you've got really cheap battle line if you do just want to tick your battle line requirements and then go all right now that's my battle line done now here's all of my points into big beasts and into kind of hunters into that then you you can do it um uh, and alongside that you've got some really cheap spellcasters the branch wraith being 80 points she's still brilliant she's a uh, minus one to hit if she's near a wildwood uh she can summon dryads um uh, with a spell and so the branch wraith is still super good value um and even the branch witch actually which all, always gets overlooked for the branch wraith at the moment uh the branch witch is also just an 80 point spellcaster too so you've got some really good uh spellcasters in there too um and final strength i really would say is kernel hunters still remain very very good they still have their weaknesses and their weaknesses perhaps have been exacerbated and in, in, uh, uh, focused on in recent times because um, their weaknesses, there's more of it out there. But they still, if they are on an objective and they get charged by a combat unit, they can still really frustrate your opponent with the amount of tankiness they've got. Um, and we've now got more ways to bring them back as well. So yeah, there's yeah. still a lot of strengths in the book. I've always enjoyed the versatility of Sylvaneth, whether you want to kind of put a lot of dryads on the board, you know, cheap bodies, if you wanted to go an elite build, if you want to tap into the monsters and, you know, you've got some hard hitting, you know, you've got Drychar, you've got, you know, um, uh, Spirit of Durthu, which I remember bl blew my mind when I'm like, I can take more than one Durthu. Because instantly when I think of the name Durthu, I'm like, oh, it's a name character. And then I remember, I can't remember who did it. Someone locally had three Durthus. And I'm like, How? And then I actually looked at the back of the book. I'm like, oh, he's not a unique character. But yeah. you've got that hard-hitting stuff, right? You've got a Lariel, which is just this wonderful, beautiful model. But she also summons. And the versatility on the table that at a tournament, I can say, I need Kurnoth Hunters here. I need Dryads here. I can, you know, bring on bodies that uh, is going to better help me, depending on what I need. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's a great book. Um, and I'm curious to see how we can kind of get them back on the table. Because I think... From what I've seen, people have been really disheartened. You know, when the when we went from book one to book two, people generally felt that it wasn't as good. And people got a little bit frustrated with the new Wildwoods. They got frustrated with uh, some of the strengths that they lost. I remember people would use Dryads and they'd have one Dryad next to a Wildwood and, then, and the whole unit would get minus one to hit. And, of course, those Holy Within bubbles started coming in and people were like, oh, I, I don't feel like my army's as good and I don't get the, to dictate the terms of battle because I, I don't think you can do a one drop anymore. So anyway, I'm not trying to focus on the weakness. I'm focusing on the fact that you've gone out there and proved everyone wrong that Sylvaneth are super competitive. They can do well. And, you know, you've, you've absolutely proved it. So I'm curious to learn how you've done it. Does that sound like a good topic? It does sound like it. I mean, you're just you're making my head get very big here. To be honest with you, actually, um, I'm, I'm loving all this trace. Um, 
so I think I think that you're right to hit the nail on the head that, that there's this big transition from the old uh, the old way of played uh, to the new way of played, and that frustrated a lot of people. And uh, perhaps there is a net loss in some aspects, but I think the biggest issue was that people were expecting it to carry on playing in exactly the same way. And you're right, like uh, my my favorite way of playing in the old uh, old tone was was dryad spam and uh, a very aggressive uh, flooding of the board with dryads and all about kind of that first turn getting your buffs up and going in the face and that's just as you say that's not viable I, you might be to get a three drop on the table but that's that's weakening it a lot so instead i remember, I remember little... when i was i remember when i was very first playing my moon clan against lee and when i was like oh, i'm gonna practice with my 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 book just before my book came out and he put 110 dryads on the table. And I'm like, this is crap. This is such a bad experience. And like, I'm watching Liam like get his little box and literally like get like a dustpan and broom pulling dryads <laughs> off the table. Cause like he got so many, right? Uh, sorry yeah. to cut you off, but like the, the, the play style has changed so, so much. So much, yeah. Yeah. Um, last week or the week before when uh, Warhammer community were asking for pictures of Sylvaneth, my picture was a pile of my dead dryads from the old tome, because that's why I treat them, you kind of pick them up, chuck them there and just say to your friend, I'm just going to pick them there because in about you know, 10 minutes time I'll be summoning them again uh, or putting them back on the table in some way, uh, and yeah I had a similar thing against Paul Buckler once where uh, I put 100 dryads on the table cast a branch rave spell and Paul was looking at me like yeah you've got no more dryads left Laurie you do know that right and I had yeah I'd run out of dryads so having that been in that position um, and they had, it just changed massively now I think I think um, that's and it's been a real I've really gone through a process of evolution of like because I've got one of the book first dropped I got in so many games of it and the lists I took at the beginning are massively different from the ones which I actually did well in uh, at the end like if I look back at that chat which uh, me you uh Chris and Liam, Chris Welfare, had, yeah, yeah, um, then we like I didn't really. I've mentioned Dreadwood, but I didn't really dwell on it as much as I ended up doing. And I was talking a lot more about Winterleaf and talking a lot more about the damage potential there. And I think that's the thing is that it's, it's people, people that we almost went through stages, uh, Silver players. Like, uh, first of all, you realized that the old way of playing um, didn't work, then you started to dwell on Winterleaf and how amazing Winterleaf was. But the problem with Winterleaf, in, in my opinion, is that it, it doesn't play the scenario well enough. You can kill stuff, but ultimately, you're not going to be able to move that fast, you're not going to be able to get around the board, you're not going to be able to get buffs up. Like, it doesn't matter how much you kill stuff. Like, people quite often rave about how six scythe hunters in Winterleaf can go twice, plus one or six is splitting, like just annihilate most things in the game. That doesn't really matter if they can't get anywhere and if your opponent's hitting you first and taking them off the board. So yeah, it, it, it as I say, there's almost three stages which people had to go through as players, which was realizing that the old style didn't work, realizing that the most obvious things in the new book also didn't work that great, uh, and kind of uh, then working out what, what did work. And that led me um, uh, to the first first of the two lists which I, I wanted to talk about, which was my Dreadwood list, which I do think is 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 a, is a good list. And I'll talk about, I, I think it's a way of adapting that. Do you want me to go into how it works for now? Before we get there, I'd love just to get your, your thoughts on the Allegiance ability. So I'll bring them okay. up in a second. But I will pre-warn that in the last Faction Focus, when I had Laurie and uh, Liam and Chris Welfare uh, on the show, I almost caught, caused World War Three when I asked you what's the best equipment for Kurdoths. So prepare yourself. I'm still going to ask you that same question. At least I don't have okay. other people. Um, because there is debates, right? You know, units there of three, is. units of six, you've got size versus yeah. swords, bows. I want to hear what you've learned since then because, again, yeah. this is still a discussion that everyone is still having. But what I, what I did want to do before we got into, into your lists 
was get your perception of the rules. These are the allegiance rules that you're going to get by being Sylvaneth. And I, I wanted to understand how do you look at the world? When you look at these rules, how do you put it into a list? How do you think about it on the table? Like, what does it come to you as an experienced player? So, you've so got... there's a few. Sorry. No, please. So there's a few kind of key points here to take away from um, from these rules. Um, the, first of all, these these wardwards they're now they're not as strong as uh, they were back in uh, back in the old toe, um, because you have got more restrictions on where you can set them up, um, and you can only teleport one non-tree lord unit through it at a time. So all the tree lords, that's Dirtu, Tree Lord Ancient, and the tree lord itself, um, have got a rule on their scrolls which let them teleport through the wildwoods for free, but everything else in the tome can only be teleported through one wildwood at a time. So that does limit you a little bit. So you can't, like, like one of the things I, it took me ages to get my head around was I couldn't have two wildwoods on two different sides of the board and go, okay, I'm going to teleport through my uh, my Ark Revenant and some kind of hunters, the Ark Revenant to support the kind mm. of hunters. Because you can't do that because they can't both teleport together. So that does need to influence the way you approach, uh, approach the wildwoods. They're not there is a kind of as they were in the old tome where it was a massive relocation of your entire army instead it's about you kind of probing with them or using them as a way of getting multiple tree lords of some sort of another across across the board uh, nonetheless though they do offer you um real board-wide influence that they are still there to get you wherever you want on the board uh, as i say um you set one at the beginning of the uh, of the game and then you can summon them via various means there's a spell which can do it there's an artifact which can does it and the tree of ancient has their own ability as well um and so you can you can get them across the board i think again a big change from from the first battle tome to the second battle tome is that they're much more useful now at the, towards the end of the game perhaps uh, whilst, the, whilst mm. in the old times it was I'll take first turn and I drop three words, or I have one word to begin, and I drop two more words via a spell and via an artifact. That's not going to happen as much now. It's harder to do that. Well, but, that was the strategy. You would you would build a uh, a one drop or a two drop at most. You make sure you take the first turn, throw down all the wide woods so you can flood the board, and then you're able to teleport around and block off objectives. And even actually, since the the new battle term dropped, we've also had new objective rules around you know ter where terrain versus objectives yeah. can be. And I know that was another thing that kind of got people a little bit oh I didn't have to deal with that. So I used to be able to put a wild wood literally on an objective you know, put a bunch of dryads in, in the woods and make it incredibly hard to get that objective. So again, that was another kind of like beat stick against, you know, like, oh, it's become too hard. Those are the days, eh? Just put, put 30 dryads in a wildwood on an objective, minus one to hit, plus two armor save. Oh, I miss those days. <laughs> um, but, but turns out my opponents don't miss those days. Um, no. So... <laughs> no. no. So there no. you go. Oh, um, so there you go. Um, and so that's why, that's why, like, as much as seven players, you might, you might complain, you might be annoyed about the change of the rules. I think they probably are better for our opponents and are um, a more interactive experience for our opponents. Um, so I do overall, I do, do like the way they've changed. Um, but you can, these these new ways that you use, they still have got that use. Um, as I say, in particular, I think there's something you can look at in terms of thinking about spell portal, thinking about getting your words across the board um, in the end game. Like um, you still, if you, if you, uh, the rules are usable like you still can can get the woods down i think you just need to really have killed killed some of your opponent's army if they've got enough of their army left they're going to block off a lot of the good places for you so it's that idea in terms three four five you might have created some spaces for you to put your wadwoods down um and that teleport we've got the um the endless spell spite swarm hive 
which gives plus three to charge. Um, it's still that teleport still combines exceptionally well with that, um, that you can, uh, because that affects you in the hero phase, so you cast that, put it on a unit, they then teleport through the wildwoods and they're on plus three to cast if they're charging on a six, potentially with a reroll if they're character or near a character or a kind of hunter. So you've still got some really good synergy there with those teleports. Um, whilst we're talking about the rules, the one you've got there, places of power, which you just got the top of there uh, on the screen, is the one which once you get get onto it, um, once you get your head into using it, it can be really useful actually. Because um, so Silver and I actually do struggle with um, Battleshock quite a bit. Um, but if you're remembering that, then you can basically, what, what I would tend to do is I'd have my unit of dryads, or quite often I'd have my unit of dryads or spikes or whatever. You put your wildwood near the objective you know you're going to be sitting on, and then you make that your place of power, and then you've got basically whatever big unit you've put next to your main objective in your terrain uh, is immune to battle shock. And so I um, I played at finals, my final game, playing um, playing Matt, I believe it was, with his um, daughters of Cain. He, um, he chucked Rathi into my unit of 30 drives. I think it was on Battle for the if I remember rightly, I think it was maybe something let's, else. Just, let's just say, anyway, let's just say it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm going to the details there. You're quite right. Uh, but he chucked <laughs> Murathi into thirty dryers, and um, and the dryers just ground up Murathi because they were immune to battle shock. They're minus one to hit, and so he was surprised at how actually, actually at the end, the dryers have helped some some spites killed Murathi because he, I think he kept on being surprised that they just wasn't killing them, and I didn't have to spend CP to keep them and battle shock immune. I wasn't wasting stuff on them. They were just fine. So places of power, I think, is the is the most underused rule on the silver enough to tome if you remember that and if you really do think about right, what i'm gonna what am i going to put that as um then it makes a massive difference because we are an army which struggles with battle shock and that that can help you tick that quite nicely two questions before i move into your lists one is based on the forest spirit so your your wild woods um the first question i have is do you have any advice or any thoughts or any tactics or like what's the the thinking that you have when it comes to your wildwoods? Because I think for me, this is where some people get really confused. Like, do I drop two, uh, three bases? Do I drop four bases? Uh, you know, like like where do I put them first? Is it purely based off the teleport? And of course, each game and each opponent is going to be different. But is there any like methodology or any thinking that you have around yeah. your wildwood placement? So the first thing I'm afraid I've got to say, and, and GW will love me for saying this, you need to buy three boxes of Wildwoods because uh, in each but each box of Wildwood, you get three pieces, a big piece, a medium piece, and a small piece. And you need to have three of the small pieces because those three small pieces come together to form your smallest Wildwood. So basically, if you're if you're being serious about being a silver enough player, uh, unfortunately, you do need to buy at least three boxes of Wildwoods if you, if, you, um, if you want to play at the top level because those three pieces, those three small pieces can fit in the smallest of the gaps. And if you... Um, if you if you do ever buy or if you ever see a silver player and ask to have a look at their wildwoods, you'll see that those three small pieces. It's not that they're a little bit smaller than a normal size wildwood; they're significantly smaller. And they yeah. can really you'd be surprised at where they can fit in because once the game starts going, then your wildwoods just need to be an inch from everywhere. Basically, that's objectives, uh, terrain, models, etc. And, and so, actually, with with these small bases, you can fit them in a lot of places on the board. In terms of the other questions, where am I putting these up? So um, the first one, the first one you put down is actually quite restricted because you've got to be six inches away from objectives. You've got to be three inches away from terrain. Like it is quite hard to put it. So I do tend to put it, as I think I mentioned previously, I try to get it. If I've got an objective, 
in my terrain, in my territory, or as close to my territory as I can, I try to get it close to that. What my kind of instinct will be is if I've got one objective in my territory, I will put a wild, but ideally just outside of six of that, I will then make that wild move my place of power. And that means that I can put some kind of battle, uh, battle line unit on my objective within six of the uh, wildwood and immune to battle shock and that has like a few elements to it if they're drives they're minus one to hit but it also means that they can teleport later on in the game as well you kind of they can just sit there they're keeping your objective you know the battle shock immune so you don't have to worry about that your heroes can bugger off and do other stuff if they want to because they're battle shock immune and then it can be that perhaps turn four or five they suddenly can teleport through that wildwood they've been sat next to go up the board and, and make a cheeky claim for you if you want them to um so the first one I put down, I always put down in my uh, in my own terrain, my own territory, and as close to my own objectives as I can get. Uh, the, the ones later I summon, I think it does depend quite a lot on what you're playing. Basically, um, you still, if you can get away with it, if you have been given first turn, having a wildwood kind of just centrally in the board still has a lot of benefit to it. But it really does depend on your list and things like that. Like um, the other, the second of the two lists I'm going to talk to you about um, is. Uh, the spammy one I took to this team tournament, which was 24 bow hunters. Now, when you've got 24 bow hunters, you actually don't want any of your wildwoods blocking line of sight. So I'd be really concentrating. If I did ever cast a wildwood up, I'd be concentrating on casting it well away from the most of my army because I didn't really want to hampering myself, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, no, that's great. And again, you know, um, everyone's going to do their wildwoods differently. But if you're learning how to use them for the first time, I think we've just heard some really good advice. And uh, even just thinking about your base a little bit differently, you may not have thought about that strategically to say, well, if I am struggling to put terrain on the board, you know, a lot of armies now bring the legions terrain. Some of them are getting to, be, to get to be put anywhere on the board. You know, your, your Seraphon, your OBR are just two, two of many terrain pieces you can put on the board. Um, so you can kind of manipulate and put the right trees where you need them and think about the base size. I think that's a brilliant call, a uh, really good call. The other question I have for you before we move into the lists is you've got a lot of glaives, these sub-allegiances that allow me to kind of customise my force even more, whether it's Ockenbrow, Gnarlroot, Heartwood, Ironbark, Winterleaf, Dreadwood, Harvestboon. Um, I think when we did this show last time, you know, we kind of thought most of them were quite good. There were some that were clearly stronger than others, but most of them were kind of like, not a lot of them were like, no, I would never run that. How do you feel now about the Glaives? Do you feel like they are all competitive in some description? Do you think there are some that are just clearly stronger than others? So I think I think we could put them in three tiers, if I'm honest with you. Uh, tier three, i.e. I've uh never written a list of this these these glades and i don't anticipate me ever running them is oaken brow and iron bark i just think the allegiance abilities don't synergize very well and they don't work with what's good in the army uh tier two where i have written lists with i think they're fun but i think they ultimately don't play the scenario well well enough is harvest boon and then perhaps somewhat controversially uh, is uh, winterleaf as well i think both of those are quite killy but actually i think they fundamentally they they're so enough already can be quite killy with kind of hunters and so these are just making you good at something which you're already good at and then tier tier one which is i have written this for and uh, uh i've taken to tournaments or plan on taking to tournaments is naru Hartwood and dreadwood which are the ones which i think actually their allegiance abilities are useful uh, i think they they help us out in areas which we are weak in and we struggle with uh, and they do work well in a in a 
amping up your army and making your army play better than it previously would have done. Yeah, no, I love it. No, great call. Um, and before I move into your list, I want to call out a friend of the channel, Chris Welfare, is saying, so uh, you're saying, Laurie, that bow hunters are still good, or well, still the best, he says. They're not the best. When are we going to do the hunter chat? <laughs> that seems like it needs uh, needs something by itself. Do a red versus blue. We'll do a debate on, on what the best equipments yeah. are for Kurnos, and we're obviously going to see potentially some Kurnos in the list, so uh, everyone who is in the comments section or watching this later might want to tell us that we're wrong because, you know, you should do your sights in nines or you should be able to do swords in whatever. Like, let, let's look at the lists. So first things first, do you want to do your Heartwood or do you want your Dreadwood first? Can we do Dreadwood first if that's right? Sure. Just, um... You're the guest. So you are Dreadwood, so we're Sylvaneth Allegiance. Um, for, for everyone who's going to listen to the podcast later, I'll go through the list and then, you know, we'll basically get some thoughts around why this model's in the army, what it brings to the table, et cetera, et cetera. So from a hero's point of view, you've got your Arch Revenant, which is the general. Um, it is uh, walking around with the command trait of Paragon of Terror. Uh, the artifact is the Jewel of Withering. We have a Branch Wraith with the Spirit Song Stave and the Throne of Vines. We've got a, another Branch Wraith with uh, Verdinous Harmony. So three heroes. They're all quite quite small heroes, no big tanky heroes. Let's start at the top with your general, your Arch Rev with Paragon of Terror and Jewel of Withering. Why is it the general? So, Why did you load it out the way you did? So first of all, it's the general because that, that gives it just a slightly bigger buff um, on uh, boosting uh, uh, from its, it gets to pick a unit to reroll, um, sorry, to give plus one attack to. And because the general, that becomes 12 inches, not nine inches. Uh, it's a very small change, but basically that's why it's the general rather than uh, one of the branch waves. As you've correctly uh, like identified, this, this basically this list doesn't have big heroes. So you are... Uh, you're always going to struggle at the hero missions um, and you always are hoping for a good matchup in hero missions because if you've got a bad matchup, you're just going to lose it, basically. So that is one of the one of the big weaknesses of the list. Um, but but yeah, but I think uh, I kind of came to the decision that the heroes in uh, Sylvan F just were too weak to mortal wounds. And so I therefore was steering away from them. Um, Arc is my general for that reason. that He's got this uh, command trait, Paragon Terror. It's pretty... It doesn't really come up that much. It just—it's a battleshock trick, and of course, so many things nowadays are immune to battleshock. Or I've got command points. I think it makes them reroll successful battleshocks if they're within six inches. Really situational. Very rarely comes up. Um, but the artifact jewel of withering, withering makes him minus one to wound from uh, from melee uh, weapons. I just found that he uh, does occasionally get into combat, and for things such as um, hero missions, it's good to have that on him. But you could put it on branch wraith, like that artifact. Again, that artifact isn't really key to the list. To be completely honest with you, uh, it's just on the arc wraith because, um, as I say, he might get in combat a bit more than the other two might. The key thing here on the on the heroes is this next branch wraith, who's the real, uh, really important piece. So the the first of the two branch wraiths, um, branch wraith one, as I affectionately call her, uh, is uh, has got uh, the spirit song stave, which uh, lets her cast twice and throne of vines, which gives you plus two to cast. So you cast throne of vines to give you plus two to cast, and then you can cast normally a spite swarm. Uh, um, Spite Swarm Hive, which is the one which gives you pluses to, to charge. So like that's your classic combo turn one, is uh, Throne of Violence uh, and then summon up the, and the spell. It's also worth noting that as currently written, 
uh, Throne of Vines does stack through the game. So turn one, you can be plus two, turn two, plus yeah. four, turn three, plus six. And uh, I've been plus eight or even plus ten in the past. That was fun. My opponent really so, enjoyed me not rolling any dice to just autocast spells. So I played uh, Tyler Emerson, uh, Scrubby and mm. Wells, uh, on Tabletop Simulator, his Sylvaneth, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he put he put his Branch Wraith on a Bailwing Vortex. Uh, so as you can see, what he's going is he's going Throne of Vines, Throne of Vines, Throne of Vines. And I'm like, this is like plus four, plus six, plus eight. Uh, it just absolutely keeps stacking. So that stack comes as long as you don't move. So being on a yeah. Bailwind, unless you're looking to teleport, that thing's not moving and just keep getting buff after buff after buff. So um, it's a nice little shout because people may not uh, see it immediately. But, yes, it does stack. It's also worth noting that the wording of uh, when you summon a Bellwind is that you place your model on the Bellwind. You don't set up on the Bellwind. So you can even cast Throne of Vines, then cast Bellwind, and you keep your plus two for next turn because you haven't set up your branch yes. from the Bellwind. You've placed him on the Bellwind, placed her on the Bellwind, um, which everyone loves that. So that, that, is, that is, I think that's the most spammy and abusive thing in the book, to be honest with you. That's the most thing which is likely to make your opponents get annoyed because, of course, branch as well as summoning um, Wildwoods, can also summon up dryads and so uh, a key part of the way this this works is that by turn three four and five quite often you're auto summoning uh, dryads with this branch wraith so you can just yeah you can guarantee yourself 10 dryads each turn because that branch wraith will sit at the back of the board um yeah next to a wildwood just summoning a uh, turn one summoning up the, uh, the spike swarm hive and then turns two onwards summoning up dryads have you got two branch raids for redundancy of summoning um, summoning dryads as well? Uh, not really, no. You've got two branch raids because um, they're really good value uh, and because you just, for 80 points, there's not a lot you can get, which is better, really. I know some people like tree ribbons, but I think that a, a second branch raid uh, is just useful for versatility offers you because first turn that branch wraith will probably try to summon up a wildwood or summon up some dryads it just gives you yeah you've got some spells you want to cast for turns one and two when the other branch wraith will be concentrating on getting your endless spells uh, up basically yeah no no because some people might be looking at this list going well i'd rather have one branch wraith and one branch witch um and I know some people do take the branch rates in pairs so that they've got better positioning on where they can summon or should one get kind of killed or sniped, they've still got the ability to summon the 10 dryads um, through the course of the game. Yeah. And you do, you need, you need that. So the, the actual key part of the list really is the, um, is the end of spell, the spice one hive uh, for reasons I'll get into. Um, and you need, you need to have, two just in case one of them gets killed um it makes it a little bit harder and they're also they are quite hard to kill because the minus one to hit as i say uh when they're near a wildwood you get them near um uh, a unit they're minus two to hit from shooting uh so they they are hard to kill but you need two to just make them a little bit harder to kill um normally anything you'd add to verminous verminous harmony uh and having a second branch wraith I'm glad that other people struggle saying that as much oh. as I do. Um, Virgurus Harmony. Uh, it brings back a kind of hunter. It's, yeah, normally because you kind of hunters are teleporting across the board, normally you're not getting that off that much, but it's the best one to have as redundancy. As I say, that Wraith is normally summoning up Wildwoods or summoning up Dryads. Um, but Verdu, Verdu, that spell uh, is the best spell. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. Uh, uh, is the best spell to have if you are if you do have a second spell after grabs. Because it goes hunters wounds are four, four wounds, five, five wounds? wounds, five, five wounds. wounds, five wounds, four up armor save. They are tanky. They are very tanky. 
and we'll get to them later, obviously, but just just put that into context. Bringing back five wounds uh, a turn is uh, is quite a, quite a juicy spell. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Unfortunately, it can't. Please. It does does cast on a seven, so that's why it's it's not worth kind of banking on it. It's not worth relying on it because that branch rate, of course, hasn't got any buffs to casting, and so you do, yeah, you do need to just bear that in mind. Uh, anything else you want to mention from a hero point of view with this Dreadwood list? I think I've covered the key parts there. Sweet. So from a unit uh, a unit selection, you've got a unit of 10 spike revs, uh, five spike revs, five spike revs. Then you've got 30 dryads. Uh, you've, to wrap this all up, you've got the outcast battalion. So that is a uh, having three spike revs in that battalion. Uh, and then you've oh, and then you've got uh, nine Kurnoff hunters, uh, six Kurnoff hunters, and then the spite swarm hive. So let's go to the top. Let's go to the spite revs, and we'll talk about the, the outcast battalion. So yeah, as I say, the, the main benefit you've got here of the outcast battalion is how cheap it is. Um, you can get for two hundred and eighty points. You can get your three battle line and a battalion. Like that's brilliant. That's really good value. There, I don't think there's any um, uh, army out there which can tick off your battle line and chuck a, a, a battalion in there uh, quite so cheaply. So that's why I've got these three units of spike revs. Is I need that outcast. Like this whole list. Uh, does use CP very heavily because you're spending a CP to teleport stuff each turn and so you are racking through them. So having a cheap battalion in there is really important and that's why you have outcasts in there. The spike revs themselves, they're not as terrible as you might think they are. Um, they're really weak. Five up armor save, one with each. They just they just die very easily. But five, five guys uh, in Dreadwood 16 attacks, threes re-rolling ones uh, to hit, and then threes to wound. Uh, no rend, one damage, but like that actually can surprise some chaff uh, and can deal with some chaff quite nicely. That unit of 10, for example, is um, more attacks. 31 attacks? Yeah, 31 attacks, doing the same kind of thing. So they are, they actually can surprise uh, your opponent in that they can dish out quite a lot of attacks. Um, and quite a lot of attacks unsupported as well. They don't need any buffs mm. or any boosts there. So the spike revs are there. Were they I say threes and threes or something. I remember. I remember though they were quite consistent when it comes to combat. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, number, but I remember them being really good. I I think you're typing, but I did, I did just say that, Anthony. Uh, threes, uh, threes and threes. As unconscious <laughs> threes. I'm like, yeah. I'm, like oh, yeah, that's right. I'm too uh, smart to play. I remember threes and threes, and like, no, you just. I don't know, I don't know where it's from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, the, yeah, the the good thing is that in Dreadwood, uh, they reroll ones to hit innately, because uh, they're spike revs are the Dreadwood part of the Dreadwood um, kind of uh, uh, grove, uh, and so they yeah they get that innately. So as I say, you can you can chuck them out by themselves and like they will die to anything but they might surprise your opponent uh with the amount of damage they do back basically or do first um and also it's quite nice having like chuck away units you can just put five on an objective and just know right, i've got that objective they might die but if they die they're only 60 points who cares um the key other unit there which i think was a, a later change to my list which but a really important one is the 30 dryers um because with Sylvaneth, it can be tempting to just go all in on the on the Durthus, all the kind of hunters. You still need to win games, and you still need uh, bodies. Ultimately, still win games, and thirty drives is still insanely useful. Um, particularly here, what you want is you want you want options, you want choice. Now, as I say, the big thing in this list is Dreadwood allows you to teleport any unit um, uh, anywhere on the board outside of nine of your opponents. Um, 
and now you've got a unit nine kind of hunters and a unit six kind of hunters, which are the obvious things for you to teleport. But having 30 dryers just gives you a much more defensive play. Like if your opponent is bunkered up well first turn, or if they, uh, if you don't want to commit your kind of hunters first turn for whatever reason, you want to have other options. And that's where these 30 dryers are really useful. I remember playing um, Andy Hughes at uh, the final game of uh, Base Hammer. And he uh, had deployed really well. Uh, he'd kind of got his, he was playing Fire Slayers, and he'd got his massive killer unit in a really good position where I knew that if I hit with kind of hunters, they'd fight first and they would just take a big chunk at me. So instead, I just picked up my 30 dryers and I just spread them all the way around him and just actually just pinned inside his, his unit. Uh, he didn't want to waste his, um, his go fast to ruin that turn so he moved them forward in his turn four inches and then actually failed his five inch re-rollable charge and so my 30 dryads just pinned in place his his unit for, for two turns um and yeah so that's that's what they're there to do and even if he had made that charge then i was happy i was like all right so i'm i'm keeping your big killer unit in play for for one turn uh whilst the rest of my army can go and do stuff across the board and that 30 dryads is, can do all sorts of that um because because you um the way I would deploy is you can deploy so that both the unit kind of hunters and the dryads start off within range of the spite swarm hive and the spell if you get it off. And so they're all plus three to charge potentially. Um, and then you've got choice over what do you teleport? And you can, as I say, you can teleport those 30 dryads and just cause a nuisance for your opponent for a turn or two um, or just chuck them on an, object, on an objective uh, and just go, okay, come at me for a bit. Like they are, they are still really good value. And I, I, I do think that's one thing which people aren't using enough in silver. 30 dryads for 270 points, which is a four up armor save uh, all the way down to until they've got 10 models. Um, it's still minus one. Like that, that even if it all, even if all they're doing in your list is just sitting on your home objective near your wildwood, which is also your place of power, then they are brilliant for that. And that's that. If I weren't, I wasn't teleporting them forward, then that's what they'd be doing. They'd be sitting on my home objective. I, they'd be uh, next to the place of power, so I wouldn't have to worry about spending any CP to make them immune to battle shock. They'd be minus one to hit on a four armor save. Like they last. Um, it would take someone really getting into them to, to make them uh, uh, die. And so you can just, and that lets you free up the whole of your army to go and do yeah. stuff because you've got your home objective wrapped up. And they're not focusing on your other juicy things, whether it's Drycher, whether it's a, a Tree Lord or Kurnoff Hunters or whatever that might be. Exactly. Those Dryads are just, they're, they're great value. You know, you'll be able to screen, screen either uh, and, and deny an opponent a turn one charge for your juicy targets, whether it's going to be playing around and manipulating the board and, you know, using your, your trees. I think um, they are, it's interesting you say that because they were really popular and you don't see this very often. People are mostly taking tree revs or spike revs as their battle line choice. So uh, it's good to see Dryad still in the list outside of just being summoned by a branch wraith. Yeah, I agree. I do, as, as I say, just um, in terms of the value for money, 270 for a 30 is, is still a good, uh, a good equation. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more about Outcast as well. Again, with my Kurnoff build, I'm like, how am I in my battle line? How do I get this extra CP in an artifact? Boom, outcast for 300 points and less. I'm getting my three battle line choices, plus a CP, plus a lower drop, plus an artifact. Like, I couldn't go wrong. Yeah, it's great value. Really good value. Moment of truth. We've got nine Kurnoth Hunters and six Kurnoth Hunters. Uh, what are they equipped with? Because you haven't told me, so I'm, I'm like drum rolling here. Are they bows, swords, or scythes? And um, so how did you get to that? So the nine are scythes and the six are swords. Uh, and there's no bows, I'm afraid, in this list, although my other one does have bows. Um, so I think if you're going a big unit, 
then they have to be scythes. Um, that's that's kind of the the big thing, which which I do think across the board. Like if you're ever running a unit of nine kind of hunters, uh, they have to be scythes just because you've got a two inch range on your scythes rather than a one inch range on your swords. Um, and so they have big units have to be scythes that that range. Um, I think like the general rule, if we're talking more generally about kind of hunters, like the it comes up in the Sylvaneth WhatsApp chat Ooh. once every two weeks, once a month. Uh, and the, the response, the generic response is, if you're running them in six or more, then you run them as sides. If you're running them in threes, then run them as swords. But that's the most straightforward response I can give you. And then bows just fill, fulfill a different role. Um, here, I've got a six of swords. The reason I've got a six of swords is that I am teleporting with this army. Now, when you're teleporting, that gives you more flexibility. And so with the six, the six are our swords with the idea that they are there quite often as the first punch. They're there to clear gaps for then the Kern of Hunters of Scythes to go in and really do the damage. So like turn one, my opponent might have deployed really well, bunkered up quite nicely, um, but they've only got one screen perhaps in their army they might just have one screen and i kind of look at it and go okay I, I, quite often it's camrats for example which my opponent has got as a screen and i look at that and kind of go okay that's that's a poor trade-off i'm about to trade off 400 points of kind of hunters for uh, uh 320 points of camrats like this is the trade i'm going to do but i will remove all of their bodies and then all their juicy units are then open to my kind of hunters of size later on so you pick up your six kind of hunters with swords, chuck them into your opponent's face, wipe their uh, wipe their screens. Now those kind of hunters will be hit back by their entire army and probably die. But if you've then left them with no screens for your actual bigger unit, then that's a good trade-off. So that's the logic in the army here. I've got one one unit, which those those nine kind of hunters, and perhaps I'll just talk a little bit about the synergy of the army here. Kind of hunters always count as a run range of, of all your heroes. So any hero buffs can be deployed on them. Um, and it's worth just kind of thinking about what that lets you do because that lets you not only give them the plus one attack from the arc remnant but it also lets you do all the generic buffs as well so you can make yourself a re-roll a charge it can make yourself uh, re-roll once to hit as well uh, it can make yourself immune to battle shock as well so you, you can pick up those nine kind of hunters or the six kind of hunters chuck them at the board then go okay so i'm, uh, uh, I'm charging on a six because i got off my end of the spell Oh, but I failed my charge. Okay, well, I'll re-roll that. I don't need a hero with me. I've chucked them in some really small... You give me this little gap, which I think I can get around. So miles, miles away from the rest of my army, but I don't care because they're in range for my heroes anyway. So I'm re charging on a six with a possible re-roll. I've got into combat. Okay, I'm going to give them plus one uh, plus one attack from the kind of hunter. Oh, and I actually really need... Sorry, plus one attack from the Arch Revenant. Oh, when I actually really need to kill this unit I'm fighting. I'm going to give them re-roll ones to hit as well. Uh, and that's, I'd say, where this army is really CP heavy because what I'm talking about out there it's costing you three or four cp but you can just delete a unit because those nine kind of hunters could be um uh, yeah 36 attacks threes to hit rerunning ones threes to rune minus two rend d3 damage like that's killing most things realistically and so because they fight in two inches they're fighting in two ranks so you can have you can be surprised you can normally get most of them in really with this charge because you're teleporting as well so you get to pick your positioning Similarly, those uh, six kind of hunters can be 30 attacks, threes to hit, threes to wound, minus one rend, two damage with sixes to wound, doing a mortal wound in addition. So both of those are actually really quite killy and they don't need a hero babysitting them, which with the teleport tricks of this uh, of this list is really important. Because like with those kind of hunters, you could pick them up, put a big dent in your opponent's army, they get hit back, you lose six of them. 
but then you just make them immune to Battleshock. And so they therefore are tying up their opponent for another turn whilst the rest of your army goes and gets points and does stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, so that's 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 why the kind of hunters are, are in the unit sizes they are. The nine give you that real punch. The six let you clear, ski, clear screens, but also worth noting that in Dreadwood, because you're teleporting one unit, that's why I don't have MSU... Uh, units of three, uh, multiple small units of three of the kind of hunters with swords, because you're only teleporting one unit, so it doesn't seem worth it. In other worlds, non. Sorry, yeah. No, I was just saying. I, 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 the burning question I had for you when when you finished was, most people would look at this and think, why doesn't he just do two units of three to have versatility? But more importantly, knowing that Kurnoff hunters with swords don't have the range that the Kurnoff hunters with size have. So wouldn't it be better to do two units of three? And I think you've, you, you know, you've articulated this brilliantly and I guess then add Vernonous Harmony as well to be able to bring back a Kurnoff Hunter. The, the chances of doing that in a unit of six is far greater than a unit of three. Unit of three can be wiped out in a single turn depending on what you're facing, but taking down a unit of six um, can be quite difficult. It's a very, very hard task. Yeah, I agree. I did think I articulated that brilliantly, actually. I, I couldn't, couldn't put it better <laughs> myself. Um, <Mate>. like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you are. You are the greatest thing to slice bread when it comes to silver death. Stop it! Um, yeah, I, that, I think that's that's it basically. I think if you're if you're running it outside of Dreadwood, uh, then going small units of three for the uh, units of swords is, is is a very viable tactic. Um, but in Dreadwood, you want big units. Same reason I've got a big unit of thirty dryads. Same reason I've got big units here is that you're teleporting one unit a turn. You want it to be a big unit you're teleporting, really. I think it's it's also great to remember. Um... Because again, most people may not remember this, or in the thick of the battle, it may just slip to their mind, is that those Kurnoth hunters are going to be able to get those command abilities and those benefits outside of those traditional ranges, which means you don't have to take your Archrev up the table with them. You can keep it well protected while still getting the, the benefits. So you might be able to, correct me if I'm wrong, keep it in a wildwood where it's being blocked from a line of sight. You can't, it's, it's very hard to target uh, while still using your, your different benefits to, to buff those Kurnoff Hunters. It's worth remembering that the Archrev does start the game by flying, so it wouldn't be blocking line of sight. Of course, but yes, I think. But a little tricky, a little cheeky, a little cheeky trick. A little cheeky trick is if you've got damned on your side of the table, then put your archrev next to the damned, take the damned, put the wound on your bug, and then he's no longer flying, and therefore you can hide him in a wildwood. So if you're playing someone who's got a really shooty heavy list, like a city's a sigmar list with up thirty crossbows, um, and you want to hide your archrev, then try to find that damned, take the damned, put it on your um, on your on your guy, and then run him into a wildwood because it is yeah because that's what so actually what I would often do with my archrev is I just put him in the in the corner of the of the, um, of the of the board like as far away from everything as I can get him because he does move twelve as well. So if you do need to get him into play later on in the game, then he can get there. But you're right, you really need to protect that archrev. He's giving plus one attack to those kind of hunters. Um, and he has only five wounds, sort of six wounds. Um, so keep him out of the way as much as possible. Yeah, love that. And I love that little sneak, sneaky uh, take a wound. Uh, if he's damned, that'd be great. And then, you know, you'd lose that ability to fly. Um, that's that's brilliant list tech. Love it. It's not even a list tech. It's just like this is this is why we're paying the big dollars to get Laurie here. Mm. Finally, you've got your endless spell, which is the spite spell. Spite Swarm Hive. So two parts to this. One, why the Spite Swarm Hive? I think we know why it's there. But two, why did you, you know, this list comes in at 19, uh, 1970. Why didn't you find another Endless Spell to fill it up to, to something a bit closer to 2,000 points? 
Two two good questions there. Um, first of all, uh, you pick Spice So Spice or Hive, what's a really good question is Spice or Hive or uh, Cogs? Because Cogs would fit in the list. Like Cogs is 30 points more. I've got 30 points spare. Why not go for Cogs? Now, uh, Spice or Hive's big weakness is that, uh, or two big weaknesses, is that your unit has to be wholly within eight of it to get the buff. And the buff only goes off on a two up. So if you roll a one, it can hurt you quite a bit. Um, but the reason I went for Hive over Cogs is that it does only affect you. You're not giving those pluses, plus two to move and plus two to charge to your opponent as well, which is really beneficial. And actually plus three rather than plus two is really brilliant. I think seven river reroll, if we're thinking charges, seven river reroll is I think 80% of the time you're going to get that off. Uh, six river reroll is 90% of the time you're getting that off. So just knowing that I'm pretty guaranteed a charge the vast majority of the time if I get Spice Swarm Hive up uh, and on one of my units is big. And again, that's actually why you need two big units of kind of hunters because you're basically going, okay, if one of them rolls a one uh, on uh, the Spice Swarm Hive, I can always teleport the other one. Like I might want to be teleporting uh, swords, not scythes, but um, uh, you, um, you've, you've got the options uh, there, which is, uh, which is important. Um, and so that's why uh, I went for Hive over Cogs, really, is I, I like that it's only benefiting me, and I like the plus three rather than the plus two. Why I didn't then, uh, to answer your second question, why I then didn't chuck in a cheeky Quicksilver Swords or something like that, is that this army really likes Triumphs. Um, it likes the vast majority of the Triumphs you get. Now, I've always already mentioned that um, uh, you... Uh, uh, like command points so if you get the command point one brilliant you're, you're going to get through those really quickly but you also that unit of nine hunters it loves the reroll save one it loves the reroll hit one it loves the reroll wound one it even loves the reroll charge one as well when you chuck it forward like the charge one's not as great but if you've got that charge you really need to make you just go right, i'm using my triumph for reroll charges uh, even um loves the uh the immune to battleshock one not on the kind of hunters but on those dryads you pick up those 30 dryads teleport them someone with that immune to battleshock in your back pocket they get hit you've got seven left uh, but they're in the middle of nowhere you just use your triumph from there so all six of the triumphs at the moment this um this army loves um so um so yeah so i'd i'd uh, yeah I'd, I'd i really think it's worth going for 1970 um rather than just yeah rather than an endless spell which i'm probably not going to use that much uh actually that i've i've really been it's really been killer having having uh, triumphs in the past i know when i did the statistical statistical analysis on cancon with the 200 odd lists that were you know submitted i remember something like 95% or 93% of armies were coming in at 1980 up to 2000 points. There was such a small pool of people that were coming in at 1960 or 1970. So by almost guaranteeing yourself a triumph, um, that payoff is massive compared to taking, uh, you know, Maelstrom or Quicksilver Swords or Grave Tide. So um, don't get tempted to spend the points. I like what you've done if you're at that 1970 mark. Um, yeah. It's a good call. I really think good call. The only, the only, in all these games I've played, as I say, I had those uh, three tournaments through, yeah, three tournaments back to back with this list where I've been great with it. Um, I think I played Archeon. Uh, I uh, played uh, Lee and his Archeon, uh, and he was doing the same as me going for 1970 because he wanted to, I wanted a triumph for Archeon. Uh, but apart from that, I think pretty much every game they were 1980 plus, and so I was getting yeah. a triumph. No, so, you know, like one in every, what, 15. You know, you might, yeah. you might find someone equally to use. That's a pretty good trade-off when you think about the benefit you could put on. Essentially, and, and that's one of the struggles as well, right, is, um, again, correct me if I'm wrong, 
is that um, you are restricted to the amount of command points. And this army is generally a command point hungry army. So essentially by getting a triumph, that is a free command point. So, yeah. um, and, you know, yeah, by being good. able to not have to reroll your charge, if you can use Spite Swarm, that's another CP you don't have to spend. 100%. That's a really good way of looking at it, is that you're basically looking to save a CP in some way, either by getting the CP or the reroll hit triumph. If you get that, then you're not spending that from a from a command point in, uh, uh, by the counter. It's like you're just you're trying to save yourself a CP in some way, and the triumphs do that, basically. And you're doing that for 30 points rather than for 50 points, effectively. Love it. Anything you have else more, you... You, have, you have? You have bought oh, CP it... as well, but of course, yeah. I think like in, in, in old, before you could start stacking up, uh, before you could only buy one CP, in old times, this might have been a 1,900-point list, to be honest with you. You might be buying a couple more. But um, but now that you can't do that, it's worth just being 1,970 to, to try to simulate that as much as you can. I know when Chris Welfare and Liam, um, again, these, these guys are, you know, are really good Sylvaneth players in my community. I remember when they would play these lists, they would always come in at the 1800 to 1900 mark and they would spend between two to three command points up their sleeve. They might get two command points plus uh, one from the battalion, but obviously those rules have changed from AOS 1 to AOS 2, so that's no longer an option, which is another reason why taking outcast with the the, the, spite, the, the spite revs um, is just incredible value for what you get for that 300-point investment. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to the Dreadwood list or do you want to move to the Heartwood list? And so, I'm excited because Heartwood is the one that I am most drawn to. So just uh, two things, if you will. One quite small thing, one slightly bigger. Uh, first of all, I just want to highlight one piece of tech in the list, which is that you can summon up uh, uh, with a branch ray for the pluses to cast or with a branch ray for other pluses to cast. You can summon up 10 dryads uh, in your hero phase. You can summon them next to that endless spell which then gives them plus three to charge. You can then teleport the same unit in the same turn because although they can't move, they can't be teleported and then charge them a plus, plus three to charge. So turn four, turn five, that's absolutely killer that you're summoning up 10, 10 dryads quite often automatically because you're on plus four to cast or whatever. Then you're teleporting them again automatically, no risk in it. Uh, and then they're on a six to charge, which um, uh, is pretty good odds, really. And that can that can win you games. In fact, that has won me a lot of games in the past, that little combo there. The other thing I wanted to just perhaps briefly talk about it in the current meta, that, um, that list and how I would adapt with it a little bit in terms of um, what's out there. I think... Um, I think that uh, it's got elements of strength which are really good. Like, so as part of the weaknesses of Zinch is that they um, they can pin you in. You've got a teleport. You can get around that. Like, if you are playing the no retreat Zinch uh, with someone's putting uh, loads of pink horrors in your face, actually, you don't mind too much about that. You can just pick your units out and chuck them around whatever gaps they are. And Zinch, particularly in the first turns, are going to struggle to have the entire board covered. Um, so you've got the ability to play on that. You are unlikely to get that endless spell spell off because they're probably going to unbind it but you are can you have got options at least you can gamble on nine inch charge you can with a reroll you can gamble on double turn like you you have got options against inches um uh, and so yeah you, you have got that that ability to to kind of play that against them against obr you've got the tricks there to teleport around the board to outmaneuver them uh you are quite nerfed because i think i've done the maths and that 
that unit of nine kind of hunters, if they go into a unit of 20 more Shrek guards, rerolling their armor saves, it's pretty whiffy whether or not they take them out. So the um, the that part of it you are struggling with, but you have got massive teleport uh, tricks and OBR are by their nature a much slower army. So you can sit at the back of the board, make them come towards you and then hit them around the back and kind of choose your battles a lot more. Um, and then I suppose Seraphon is worth mentioning as well. And of course, Salamanders, which everyone's worried about at the moment. Salamanders are, when they first start off, on foot. Croak and the slang can make them fly, but, but to begin with, they are on foot. And so if you hide in your wardwoods, you are to begin with fine there. And again, that teleport is useful because you can. they have to spend a lot of time protecting their key characters as well. And if you can get uh, uh, some side hunters into your man croak or your slam or whatever, then they are going to take them off. So I do think the list, the list isn't uh, amazing. It's not on a, a broken list. It's not an anti-meta list. But I think the list does still survive in the current meta and like with the top stuff out there. Those teleport tricks as I say, still guarantee you quite a lot of um, options against the top top lists. And the fact that as well, like uh, I, I got to experience uh, uh, Seraphon and uh, them, them dropping some salamanders from the sky, which is always, you know, always a delight when you can get those high-rend mortal wounds coming from the sky and there's nothing you can do. But you can do something in Sylvaneth, and that is you're able to, you know, put you know put down a wildwood. You could hide your Kurnoth hunters or your juicy little things inside the wildwood. And because you you don't have the, the bows, the Kurnoth hunters with bows, you don't, you don't have to worry about blocking line of sight, but actually it means when the salamanders come down, they try to target you, they're not going to be able to shoot whatever's sitting in. So you're almost like getting these little blind spots around the table until you can get into Lord Croak with his Ashleth bearer, um, for example. 100%. So. Yeah, that's it. You are, you are still, the, the, the way the list plays hasn't changed. You would still be playing very much a waiting game, a probing game, trying to kind of draw out a mistake, trying to get that little gap you can get through to people. But it certainly does have that ability there to, to get places. Again, the big issue of Seraphim is the same as with Zinch, is that you're unlikely to get that, or a lot less likely to get that in the spell up, because of course of their board-wide uh, unbinding, dispelling. But um but again, you're just kind of taking the acceptance that perhaps you're you're being a bit riskier. You're still a nine-inch charge is still something like fifty percent of the time you make that. So you, perhaps you just you just gamble a bit more on on double turns and on a nine-inch rerollable charge, um, which isn't as surefire. But it does, as I say, you, I'm saying here that you've got options against the top lists, not that you're some a massive anti-meta county to them. No, no, and I'm and, and I'm pretty sure from memory, uh, a nine-inch charge is a is a twenty-five percent success rate. The average dice roll. Of a 2d6 is seven, so that's why cogs is just going to bring, bring you a 50% chance. Um, spite swarm is significantly higher, but I love it. I, I like this list, I think it's interesting. It's a good list. Obviously, your heroes are juicy little targets, so you've got to protect them, you've got to be smart with them. Um, if you're playing in a, a tournament, it's going to have a whole bunch of hero scenarios. Um, you may want to reconsider, or you may again, you just want to be very tactical with it that um, you've really leaned into the strengths of Dreadwood. I like it. Um, and you've also done well with it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you've, done, you've done well with it. I just have to agree with you. Like, this is, the, this is amazing. Um, now I get to talk about Heartwood. All right. This is your list, up. isn't it? This is your favourite one. This is this is not my list. I didn't make this list. No. Uh, but I was really drawn to, to Heartwood because I do like the Kurnoth Hunters and I felt like it rewarded me. And it was just natural synergies with Kurnoth Hunters. Um, I think I was looking at Nalrud as well, or there was another one I was looking at, but this is the one that uh, I really liked. So... Laurie, you, you, you're going with Heartwood. Um, you've taken 
I'm very excited about this one. You've got one hero choice here. You've got a single branch wraith. Now, this makes me nervous. I, I look at this and I cry. And I'm like, how on earth can you win games with one 80-point hero? Um, so, so I should I should I should preface this list uh, by saying this is a list which I took to a team tournament, and what I really will do I'll go over what the list how it works, but I'll talk about how perhaps you could adjust it to a more balanced list for actually running to a proper tournament because this this was built I went for a one with this list, but it is built in a way which uh, as you say will just lose certain matchups um, like this this one would really suck at hero missions, um, but in a team tournament you can dodge that so just think like as i say I'll, I'll, if we go over this list and kind of how it plays and then i'll talk briefly about how you actually would would normalize it effectively and by the way folks what we're talking about here is just two examples of bringing a strength into the book if you're like i really want to run um alariel or you know i want Durthu, or i want dreicher for example absolutely look at the foundations and see where you can put in your favorite hero, you know, if you're you're a big believer of Kurnoth Hunters with bows, uh, again, you know, really tailor these lists to your, your your liking. But here's just a couple of examples to kind of see how Laurie thinks about his army and then puts it on the table. So we have the Branch Wraith, uh, who is the leader. Um, They've got, uh, I forgot about the, the artifact. Uh, the artifact on it is the key thing here. The artifact it has, it allows you to re-roll all of your hit rolls um, if they are wholly within 12 um, of her. Uh, for kind of hunters, sorry, kind of hunters re-roll all their hit rolls if they're wholly within 12 of her. Um, and she'd have the spell to bring back kind of hunters again of a Juris Harmony. Um, so that's that basically makes her a massive buff piece for all kind of hunters. Uh, kind of hunters, uh, the ability to re-roll hit rolls just innately is good across the board, but it's amazing for um, uh, for kind of hunters with bows, which I'm going to get onto uh, in a second. So yeah, she's an awesome buff piece, um, uh, which allows you to yeah to, to to buff all the kind of hunters in your army, um, which is where I'm going with this list, as you will see in a second. So that artifact is the one that comes naturally from Heartwood. So uh, yeah. that is Horn of the Consort. Um, and Heartwood's got some pretty cool stuff, right? You know, add one to the bravery characteristic of Heartwood units when they're within 12 of a hero. Um, you've got a really cool command ability. Um, you've got a command trait as well. Uh, there's a whole bunch of cool stuff, I think, um, that synergizes well with the Kurnoths. But uh, let me not ruin Christmas. Let me unwrap the present as we go along. Uh, we do have, from a battle line perspective, so we've got five tree revs, five tree revs, five tree revs, five tree revs. So four, four units of five tree revs. Uh, as a C Cities of Sigmar player, this unit is becoming one of my favourites when it comes to cities. Why is it in your list? So you need your battle line. Um, you're, you're only having one hero, so you don't really need a uh, battalion. And you're basically building your army to kill stuff, and then in the end turn teleport around the uh, uh, board and get the gold, get, claim the objectives, and that's what the three runs are here for. Three runs are here to do your teleporting for you. Uh, you're uh, going to be deploying them way back at the beginning, uh, the back of the board to begin with, and then once your kind of hunters have shot everything off, because that's what we're kind of building this list around, then you want some. Uh, 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 some battle line which can actually do the teleporting uh, and that's why you've gone for, I've gone for tree evidence is I want a, a, a unit which can do that I should probably give credit here this list is partly mine partly Dan Bradshaw's um, who loves a bit of spam and it does stink at Dan Bradshaw um, uh, and you can see why uh, because it is spammy max spam spam uh, uh, but yeah it's a it's a good 
contrast from my other list in that respect and that it, um yeah it plays in a very different way so shout out to i think is he, he's still the current uk master is that correct i guess so i guess he is yeah um uh, although i mean this season's kind of void so i guess yeah he is he is yeah yeah so shout, right. <laughs> shout out to dan god love him uh he's a good man um anything else you want to add i love tree revs i love that they have the little wave pipes and they're able to teleport around the board it's unconditional as well it's not like you've got to be within a certain part of the board um they just like literally little pull out their little pan flutes and just teleport around the board and for 80 points what's it 10 uh, they, they're great they're great absolutely great um, they are great they it's just worth noting they do die yeah, they they're brilliant. They can teleport anyone. But there's 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 five models in a unit. There are five of armor save. They they're just they're going to die to chaff. They're going to die to most things they come across, and that's why uh, knowing when to teleport them, knowing when to um, uh, stick them back is a big part of this army. I think when I first started playing this um, uh, list, I was too often teleporting them turn 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 two or turn three, thinking, okay, this is my chance to capitalize. I kind of weaken this part of the board here. Going to go and take that objective, and I might fail because they've, they've got a effectively a re-rollable charge innately um and i'd fail my re-rollable charge and then I'd be like okay well now they're out in the open and i yeah that unit um uh, of my opponent's unit of five hard boys have killed them off basically um because they're just so weak so it's worth noting that whilst their ability is incredibly cool um they don't rely on them to kill things don't rely on them to hang around they are just good as a teleporting unit yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, don't don't go buy a big block of these and think they're going to do the same job as a dryad. Um, no. And you know, even again, even if you just take one unit, they're a wonderful threat. You know, come turn three, come turn four, especially as you start clearing the board or opponents start moving from their objectives. Um, these these units are brilliant, and or people will often forget about them. Um, so you know, come turn four or turn three, what you don't want to have an I got your moment here, but you know someone kind of advances up the board you're kind of like compressing it you know the little way pipes they steal an objective that the opponent thought was was safe and you kind of denied and um that can be the difference between a win and a loss yeah exactly that and the other thing to note there is also try to make sure that you don't forget about them as well uh, yeah. that's the that's the classic thing and the amount of times i've got to the end of the game gone oh yeah i've got tree evidence here haven't i i've kind of forgotten about those um so yeah remember your tree evidence as uh is another key thing Seems, sounds like a sticker that I need to make for up for Sylvaneth players. Yeah. Yeah. Other units that you've got is you've got three Kurnoff Hunters, 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 three Kurnoff Hunters. I don't have a I don't have a stutter. Uh that should be that many. That's eight. That's eight unit of three. Then there's not like some weird coach gang symbol. Uh it's it eight units of eight units of three Kurnoff Hunters. Would they be bows? They are all bows, yes. So, and here I am showing uh, the very versatility of you can build your code of hunters however you want. I now own 24 bow hunters, uh, 12 scythe hunters, and 6 sword hunters is my collection of, of hunters. Uh, more than I ever thought I'd need, but for this list, it, yeah, it, it works. 8 units of 3, because you, and as I say, this is just linking massively with that branch ray for Horn of the Consort artifact. Um, um, which is giving them all re-rolls if they're wholly within 12. You can fit all of them within 12 because that's effectively 24 inches kind of uh, wide. So you, you can, can, you, can fit, you can fit 24 Kurnoth Hunters in a buff of 12 inches. Yeah. Because it's because it's effectively 24 inches, isn't it? Because it's either side of her. And so you've got to be careful, and there's a lot of measuring as you're deploying, but they will fit. And then you've got, as I say, at that point, you've got... Uh, 
what's the maths here? So two, you've got 16 shots, which are threes re-rollable, threes to hit. And then you've got uh, 32 shots, which are fours re-rollable, threes to wound. All of those are minus one rend. All of those are uh, D3 damage D3. as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, D3 damage as well. So they are, that's good. And that's at a 30 inch range as well. Um, so you've good. got, you've got. Good, good, that's good. <laughs> It's insane. Wow. It is. It is incredible. And so you can just take things off. It's really hard to dodge because of that threat range, and you can just focus fire, kill, kill, kill. And so they are really, um, really good for that. Um, what was I going to say? It's also worth noting that the artifact it isn't re-roll failed hits. It's re-roll all hits. So yes. even if lookout sir comes into play, then at that point it's still it's fives re-rolling or fours re-rolling rather than. Uh, putting the fours and the fives to one side and that's massive because it really does up their their impact and you you can just those little characters which your, your opponent's army really relies on you can just take them off which is a really strong thing um, that's that's actually a really good call I, I i just want to pause for a second here and that's some really smart list tech folks i want you to think about because traditionally with a re-roll it would the wording normally says that you get to re-roll failed hits um and a failed hit when you have a, a modifier like a minus one to hit from let's say lookout sir the minus one doesn't come into play until after the re-roll so the sequence of order you know re-rolls happen before modifiers so technically uh that's not a fail until you know the the re-roll but the fact that the artifact allows you to re-roll all hits means that you could be, you know, for example, if you were using your, your Kurnoth Hunters with swords, you could re-roll a hit trying to fish for more sixes. Or in the in the case of the bows, you know, you can try to avoid the minus one hit and pick up what should be a fail um, and re-roll it. So that's that's brilliant. I just want to pause and make sure you, you capture that, guys. That's glory. You just want to pause and dwell on my brilliance for a little bit is what I heard there, look, basically. Look, you're, you're the one out in the garden with the birds chirping. I, I, I'm inside. It's, you know, late at night. I just want to bask in your glory because that uh, it's, is just... It's again, lovely it's here. Brilliant. It's just the radiance of Laurie is just, like, absolutely glowing yeah. on me. I, I'm, I'm going to be better off for having this conversation with you. I like to think everyone, everyone viewing this is going to be better off for this conversation. Uh, it's very nice here. It's about 22 degrees now as well. And you, everyone thought that uh, England is all miserable. It's actually glorious. And as you say, I've got little birds. They just follow me everywhere. Uh, now that I'm king of the king of the silver death. <laughs> I, 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 I love this as well because, and again, whether you guys go, uh, you know, completely crazy like Laurie has with 24 bows or you try to find a middle ground, you know, you can ex you can take out that that Lord Croak or that Astrolith Bearer sitting at the back of the board because it's got a 30-inch threat range. You're able to re-roll those hits uh, and absolutely just focus fire, take that thing down. Your Mortec Guard, they're not going to be able to re-roll their saves with their shields because that is only in combat. So you're able to kind of take down those Mortec Guard a little bit easier. Um, you, know, you can kind of reach out and touch those Hurricanums that are sitting at the back of the Cities of Sigmar army. There's just a lot of cool versatility in the bows, and it's something that, again is worth considering in the current meta yeah and so i think i think you've, you've you've hit the nail on the head there that the core of this army still does do great in the current meta like um uh, with zinch for example I, I played at um uh brotherhood uh, at the team tournament my first game was against change host and this was old change host in the old rule book uh, but the, the way it played was was still that kind of focused around the the, the key the characters and it's just really hard to dodge um, a 30-inch uh, buff, uh, sorry, a 30-inch range for the kind of hunters. And those kind of hunters are great at killing Lord of Changes. Um, they're just doing enough damage. And so you've got that, uh, again, Zinch, you, nothing in that army relies on magic. 
you've got to be able to hide your little key character, yes, but um, you still nothing in the army relies on magic, so you have got that reliability that you have got that uh, defense inbuilt, um, and so you can you can really uh, kill stuff like that. As you said as well, you can you can reach out and hit Croak, you can reach out and hit the Slan, you can reach out and take out those Saurus Guard which are defending uh, Croak. Like you've got you've got that range there. OBR, yeah, again, they don't rerun their arm saves. So I played against Steve Curtis a lot with this list as we were pre prepping for Brotherhood. I think that it's a harder fight than I initially thought with OBR. Like, them not rerolling, it's still a four-up armor save with the six-up death save, um, and you are slow too in that list, really, and you can't... Yeah, so I found that if I played Nagash, I couldn't beat him because the three-up... Sorry, the two-up rerolling one's armor save went to a three-up rerolling one's armor save. So Nagash and OBR, I think that list just can't beat. But normal OBR, I think you're right. You do have options. And so I almost would view, like, I think if, if tournaments were up and running, I think taking that list and trying to adapt it to the current meta would be a really good thing to do. You might drop three units of the Kern of Hunters, give yourself 600 points, chuck in another hero, um, maybe upgrade that branch tray to a Tree Lord Ancient just so that it's not going to get shot off or magicked off the first turn. Um, it, it might give you that something a bit more reliable um, uh, to put your artifact on. Um, or, yeah, you might you might drop, like, just just off the top of my head, drop two units of kind of Hunters. That lets you put in place the Tree Lord Ancient, put the artifact on the Tree Lord Ancient, and then with your spare 140 points, you can upgrade the Tree Revenants uh, to a unit of Dryads for a bit of a screen. Because, mm. as I say, that list that list is 100% built for a team tournament, I was I was accepting I was never going to be playing a hero mission. If I did play a hero mission, my team, well, I was the captain of the team, so I'd be expecting myself to lose that. Um, so I wouldn't put any kind of pressure on that. Um, similarly, like I wasn't going to, I was trying to avoid any army which um, had loads and loads of wounds, which would take me a while to shoot through. Instead, I was playing armies which had key buff pieces which I could shoot off, big heroes which um, I could kill before they got to me. So the armies I beat were two i beat the change host with that list and then they beat uh two um uh, rogue idol heavy um uh nice or, or ones yeah because you just shoot shoot off those and then the rest of the army and then you shoot off the characters and then you get a, a rely on bravery to do the rest and then i also beat um tom maudsley and his um 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 Beast Claw Raiders that? list. Oh, oh, uh, oh, no, okay. Yeah, so yeah, they're classic with the, the, the three or four big guys. And because again, yeah. you just shoot them off from range. Yes, they've got, you can, you worked out the math that so his effective threat range first term was something like 26 inches, whilst minus 30 inches. I'm out dropping him, as in I have more drops than him, but I can still just put them so that I can, he has to take first turn. Oh, no, he gave me first turn and I just shot off one of his characters straight, straight away. So it is, um, yeah, so you have got there's certain armies you're very good against. What if I was to build on that list, I'd go away and start trying to prep it so that I'd be how can I fix myself against the armies which I'm going to struggle with? The army I lost against at the end uh, in that uh, was Darren Watson and his um, masses of blight kings because there's just too many wounds there. And so that's why if I was building on that army, I'd kind of think, okay, what can I do against these ones which have got too many wounds and are really quick? Because he got across the table super fast, got into me, and I just couldn't churn through his wounds quick enough. Um, yeah, and so that's that would be the step I think with that list is you've got to think about what you, how you adapt and how you make it more nuanced list. Um, a chap called Chris Francis who lives at, actually just around the corner from me in Guildford, he's taken a much more balanced version of that list where you have some kind of hunters with uh, scythes and swords. 
because it's worth noting that that um, uh, that horn yeah. of the consort is all kind of hunters. So it would be your swords. It actually works quite well with MSU swords as well because they're re-rolling all their hits as well. So it, it, there is something that you could definitely adapt that list to make it something a bit more versatile than it currently is. And in my heart, would I had my arch rev that was going to buff by two units of swords with that. And, uh, you know, my, my big block of size were going to, you know, I didn't quite need it. Again, with a bigger block, it might have been a bit harder, but it was more about getting the mortal wounds but from the swords. But I think, folks, playing at home, you've seen two different lists, and I think you've seen that Kurnoth Hunters are strong in the book, but not necessarily you've got to go all in with Kurnoth Hunters. We've seen a variety with, uh, uh, we've seen the Outcast Battalion with Spite Revs, we've seen Tree Revs, we've seen uh, Dryads still have their place, we've seen the Branch Wraith, we've seen the Arch Rev, one thing we haven't really seen though is, is is your big characters, whether it's your tree lords, whether it's Drychar, Spirit of Dirt through Alariel. I guess maybe high level overview or you know, just in general thoughts. Um, is there a place in the current meta for these characters, and why why didn't they kind of find their spot in your lists? So they, their big weakness has been the weakness they've had ever since 2017, since I first started playing, which is that they just lack mortal wound saves. So Durthu, Ancient, Alerion, all have got a three-up armor save. There's all kinds of ways that you can heal them and bring them back up. But, um, but they don't have any kind of mortal wound protection innately, and they've only got 12 wounds each, so they just die to more wounds really quickly. And there's a lot of mortal wounds out there, basically. And so it's quite hard to protect against that. So that's why they're not in my list because I felt that they would just get, they just die too easily. Having said that, they are, they are comparatively cheap now. Durthu's now 300 points. Um, so mm -hmm. he, he, you can, you can fit in multiple um, and it's uh, rich from somewhere up north. I think he's played with the Newcastle a lot, but I don't really know. North of Birmingham uh, in, in England. Uh, and he ran three Durthus uh, and Delarial. And like you've now got that option where actually you can almost make up for their lack of uh, mortal wounds, uh, mortal wound save, by just having multiples of them. Alerial's still a bit of a tricky one in that I think she is perhaps she is good value for her points because you are getting 200 points three. You're getting a unit of kind of hunters with her. She's 600 points. Is she a 400 point character? probably is around that actually um the issue the reason she's not in my list and i love her i love Alerial so much but the reason she's not in my new list is that she's still a bit of a risk basically i i found that she you are limited in what you build with the rest of your 1400 points because of her but again she's not it's not like i do think Sylvan F, despite their weaknesses they're not an army which you can rule out anything like there's not much in that uh, apart from like the well, I think it's the Warhammer Underworld character, Yudnathari, whatever her name is. She is garbage. Um, but almost anything else in the book, I think you can take. You can take, and, and I wouldn't, if you're using it in the right way, I wouldn't say that it's terrible. Like, I think Dryker's, Dryker's um, shooting attack is actually great against OBR. It's doing, uh, if you put it in Naru, if you put her in Naru, it's doing about four or five more wounds on average a turn from just from the shooting, just from the. That. I love Draka. I, I I think she's brilliant. Um, I, I remember playing against her in the second edition, or so the current book of the Sylvaneth, and she's great. She's absolutely a beat stick that just is run by herself. She doesn't need any support. Uh, if she, if people focus on her, brilliant. They're not going for your Kurnoth hunters or your other models. If they ignore her, she does the flutter buys or she kind of does the swat the the you know her her you know she's angry or whatever. It's just absolutely just annihilates whether it's the shooting attack or the combat attack. So um i think she's she's a good yeah. points investment and um and, I, and whether you kind of sit on the side of, of realm artifacts or you don't use realm artifacts who knows what's coming in the new general's handbook um you know dirthu with gaia strike is brilliant 
or, you know, Durthu, again, just coming out of the woods and just absolutely, um, you know, f fully healed, just going in, just does absolute damage. You're just going to make sure that Durthu doesn't get wounded because once you get into about half strength, he becomes rather useless. And as he's known, he's not called Durthu anymore. He comes Durthu. Indeed, yeah. And I think, but what the point is with Durthu now is that he whiffs, doesn't he? He whiffs a lot. But if you've got yeah. multiples of him, then you're almost making up for that. Like two Durthus, suddenly you're like, okay, two Durthus, actually one of them might whiff, but not both of them. And there's also something with Durthu, just the threat and just the potential of Durthu is quite something to play on. Like two Durthus, both of them can teleport through the Wildwood because they are tree lords. Um, and therefore they can get into, uh, to get into something together and they can do some potential damage there. Um, and also when you do get everything going through, and you get that 30, 30 damage done from Durthu, then you do, it's a beautiful moment. It's a glorious moment. Uh, speaking of glory, I, I, I'll never forget when Liam uh, first read a Durthu at me with the old law master with the hand of glory, yeah. which allows you to reroll all hits and all wounds. It is Durthu, just absolute beat stick. Um, no, no longer with us. You can't do that anymore. But uh, my gosh, Durthu is just an absolute monster. I, I love it. But I think, again, what I'm hearing from you, if I kind of summarise this, is that um, there's not a lot of bad units in Sylvaneth. You know, you've proven again and again that Sylvaneth is competitive. There are ways to handle the meta. Whether you go to your next tournament when everything kind of resumes, um, and just understand that this game is probably at a scissor-paper-rock moment where you are going to have bad matchups and you just can't handle a certain army whether it's, you know, 60 more tech guard in a Petrofix Elite, and you just accept that limitation and go for the four and one, or you try to find that all-round list that can handle, you know, the turn one charging uh, Petro uh, 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 more crushes and, and stone horns, but then the magical supremacy of, of, of Zench and, um, and Seraphon, and then, you know, you, if you can accept those limitations or just go and, and, and lean into your strengths. And I think we've seen two varieties here, but certainly not the only ways to build Sylvaneth. 100%. I think also just on that, because I think that's a really interesting point, which people quite often perhaps overly dwell on. Think about what you want from a tournament. Do you want to be the kind of person who wants to be in every single game? Like if you want to be in every single game, you need to build yourself a balanced list. But that does mean you could go, so at LGT, which I haven't mentioned, London Grand Tournament, I went two and three. I, 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 I like building balanced lists. I like a list which I think can, can take on anything. But that means that you might have a tournament where things just don't go your way and you do poorly. Do you want that? Do you want to be in, a, in, a, in a, an army which can take on anything but might go poorly, might go badly? Or do you want something which you think if you get the right run, everything could go your way? And it could be that, all right, if, I, if I, I'm building my list to take on these things, but as you say, I'm going to auto lose to that. Are you that kind of person where you can accept that you might turn up at the table, look at your opponent's list, look at your list and go, right, I've lost this. Um, I'm just out of this. Like, what kind of player are you? What do you want from your tournament? And that does impact the way you build your lists. Because um, that, that kind of hunter one we just looked at with 24 bows, that theoretically could go 5-0 and really easily. If you get the right run, if you play all the right people, um, you just, you're going to win. You know, there are certain, certain armies which just can't handle that kind of ranged firepower. But you could also also lose four of your games. So just think about uh, think about what you want from a tournament and what you want from an army in general. Um, and that's, but I think that's a more wider question, perhaps. And I think when we, when we look at whether it's the Honest Wargamer stats, whether you look at my emerging meta series, the 
the armies now at tournaments are relatively balanced. When I say balanced, I'm not talking palais level, but you've got a really good spread across the board. You're going to find a little bit of everything, you know, whether it's a little bit of cities, whether, you know, like there's there's representation of, of every faction and there's no crazy blowouts. So, you know, like I know when I was building my CanCon list, which was the last major tournament I went to before the shutdown, you know, I've got to think about how do I handle KO, Seraphon, Zench, uh, Slanesh, uh, OBR, uh, more tribes, all the different cities but all of them have different strengths so it's it's basically that i'm going to rack my brain trying to handle everything you know how do i handle you know ko coming from the sky mm. and then you know slanish turmoil charging me with depravity and like or do i just lean into my strengths and if mm. i find an opponent that I, i'm going to struggle against let's say it's you know uh, 60 or 80 more tech guard cool the pressure's off i can try some new things and still go for those four wins so um, and you and you just gamble, don't you? And when you have your tough matchup, you just go, okay, I'm going to do this this uh, uh, hail mary, all or nothing play, and it might go off, it might go wrong. Uh, in fact, most of the time, maybe this is a, a seventy percent of the time it goes wrong, eighty percent of the time it goes wrong. But if you're just accepting that, the rest of the time you're going to lose. You just go for those plays, don't you? But it also means that, and this is the big thing again and again and again, the biggest thing you can do is practice your army and play games with them so that you know what you're good against, you know what you're like, you can mass hammer, you can theory hammer out stuff as much as you want, but you do just need to get games in basically. That's um, that's the, the be all and end all ultimately. I think the proof's in the pudding, whether you're sitting here thinking that Sylvaneth is not competitive um, or you think you are a competitive or you're somewhere in the middle. The reality is, is that Laurie has played this army since 2017. Not exclusively, you've certainly played other armies, but you've played this army for a number of years and you are in the top 20 when it comes to England's top performers based off the ranking system and you've podium quite often with silver so it can be done you've paid the way it's just practice it's about adapting to the meta it's about leaning into your strengths it's about learning uh, i think and, and i think this is an army that is is tough to initially grasp because you've got the movement shenanigans you've got your buff ranges you know there's a lot of things to consider and once you kind of nail that um you will be in a good spot 100 percent I've got two final questions and we'll kind of bring this home. Uh, the first question is a, a bit of like a high level question. And that is uh, accepting that, the, you know, that we all play different scenarios and we play against different opponents. Fundamentally, how does Sylvaneth win on the table? Like what's the core of, of the strength and how do they win the games? Um, look to take out, and I think this is across the board regardless of what army you're taking, look to take out the key pieces of your opponent's army. Look at the opponent's army and think, okay, what's going to hurt me? Um, is it their big unit um, of whatever? Is it their key support pieces? What is it which you really fear? And then you, you should be building, you should have hopefully built your list in a way which can target that. Both my lists, which I've just shown you can do that. But even if you've just gone for two Durthus and Alarial and Dryker, like because of your movement tricks, you should be able to target the stuff which is the biggest threat to you. Go after it neuter it and then that allows you uh, to to play the rest of the game a lot better and i'd say it might be that you're trading off um your um your big point unit for for uh for 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 it uh at bloodshed i traded my nine kind of hunters of scythes for one unit of 280 points of plague monks like i, I basically made that trade i killed some clan rats as well but i like i was making that play because in my head and i, I won the game in my head it's like right that actually that unit of plague monks is the big threat for me that's what can do the most damage to my army. I've got this little move I can get in. I've got this play I can get to them, but I have to commit the cybers to make the play work. So I did it. Um, and I, I think that was the right play because it meant that, yes, I was losing more points and balance, 
but I was neutering the big thing I was worrying about in his army. And I felt that my army could therefore play the rest of his army better. And that's what you're looking to do. Like if I wasn't taking my Dreadwood list there, and if I had got two Durthus, then I would have tried to teleport those Durthus into the Plague Monks to do the same job. Again, trade, perhaps a poor trade-off, but it's something which is putting me up in the position I want to be up in. Yeah, no, brilliant. And, you know, again, this is not an army that you're going to have to kill 2,000 points of your opponent. Um, the amount of times I've, I've talked to Sylvaneth players and their opponents killed more of their army than they have. Or I know in some super defensive builds, you know, there's been, you know, like kill points is like 100 to 150. Um, that's That can be quite common as well because you are dancing around the table, you know, you're retreating, you're moving around. You're not necessarily in the middle, just absolutely smashing your opponent until mm. one of you is no longer there. Um, and I think that's another thing, like using the retreat mechanics and tap into the movement is going to be critical for this army last and final question and we'll bring it home um what have you learned from all of your time playing this book that someone picking up this battle time for the first time may it may not be obvious to them like you know based on all your experience and playing on the table and things that again they're just not prevalent when i pick up the book for the first time so i think the the big one there almost took me a while to get to is your ability to summon up wildwoods is much more uh, uh, varied than you might think. I think if you want to play, because I've, I've dwelled really on two lists which basically don't use wildwoods, but if you want to use wildwoods, if you want to go that route, then remember that you can get them, you can cast them through wildwoods, you can cast them with an extended range through a bellwind. Um, like the, your ability to get wildwoods up is is not as bad as you first think it is. So that's the big thing I wanted to kind of, that's the thing which I think I learned after playing it for a while, is that when you first play, you think, oh my God, I can't get wildwoods anywhere. If you get those three small pieces by buying three, if you think about how you're getting them up and kind of lean into that, you can still get wildwoods up from the board. You still can use that for teleporting. That dreadwood list I showed you, a big part of it, which I just completely didn't mention at all, is that actually you're using the teleport normally in combination with a normal teleport through wildwoods as well. One unit is teleporting using the dreadwood command ability, but then another one is going from one wildwood to the other because you've summoned it using your other branch wave. So you're getting those two movements. And so, and, and actually, it is if you are canny in where you are putting your wizards, if you are thinking about how am I going to extend, extend the range of my summoning of wildwoods, you can get wildwoods across the board. Don't kind of just accept that that you that they don't they're worthless that they don't work um they can work and you just gotta spend some time thinking about all right how am i getting this movement out there yeah i think old sylvaneth players coming into the new book so i'm saying the people who had the first battle tome and look at the second battle tome you, you fundamentally have to look at your army different i remember talking to you know alex cron who's a can a, a, a ko player he had said to me you know the difference between these battle tones between ko1 and ko2 it was like they played like tau now they play like um dark elder um and for me who doesn't play 40k it kind of went over my head but fundamentally <laughs> the, the the play style and like when he's really unlocked ko was when he we changed the play style completely and and, and accepted the, the new way of playing and he's gone really well and i think the same way you don't have the dryad spam you don't have the flooding of the, the board with you know you're not going to dictate with a turn one drop but you've got a lot of other cool things you can tap into and again you've proven that it works um the only other consideration I would make again in the current meta, we're kind of moving in what I'm predicting or what I feel right now is like the the age of the supercaster, whether it's Nagash, whether it's going to be uh, Techless coming, whether it's Lord Croak and, and Lord of Change. I'm starting to build lists where I'm ignoring or not even kind of tapping into magic altogether. So showing off two armies that you didn't have to rely on magic 
is probably going to serve you quite well when we move into the meta because techless will just will will we'll just say no to things. Um, and if I could just very very briefly just one last thing on that, like uh, uh, something which I haven't explored at all, which you have got in Sylvanif is um, uh, having no Wargrave, and then there is a generic command uh, trait which you can take if you take no Wargrave, which gives you plus two to charge. Um, and so what you can do is you can completely not rely on magic at all. You can summon a Wildwood with no magic from your tree lord ancient. You can then be on plus two to charge. Uh, with no need for any magic at all. Uh, and so you can, I think Sylvan have got, if we do, as you say, if we do go to the, to the age of, you just can't cast magic unless you're on plus three, plus four to cast, then Sylvan really can embrace that and can deal with ways where things happen automatically and don't rely on magic, which I think is um, pretty key. And worst case scenario, you just use, is it for a blessing? You just don't move and you just keep stacking those pluses, pluses to hit. Yeah, Throne of Irons, yeah, Throne of Irons. And you throne just of Irons, Throne of Irons. And yeah, you can sit at the back of the board and get that up. And if you are on plus six to cast, then actually croak or um, a lot of change. If you cast on a on a on a fourteen, then actually no, neither of them are going to be able to stop you really. Unless you're corn with your with your eights, but uh, that's that's yeah. another story yeah. altogether. I, I did cast a spell yeah. once on a sixteen, and corn dispelled it with an eight, and I shook that Beautiful. lady's hand. I shook her hand, uh, Monica. I'm like, well done. If you can dispel a, plus, a sixteen, uh, it was brilliant. Yeah. Laurie, this has been an amazing discussion. Is there any shout outs? Anything? If people wanted to talk to you more, um, I, I would like to call out somebody in the chat uh, has said, you know, seeing you talk about Sylvaneth makes my tree heart beat faster with a love heart. So um, oh, I think you've given, I, I think, and I'm not making this up. This is in the chat. If uh, I, I think you've given a lot of hope and new ideas to Sylvaneth players, and I'm sure they're going to go back to the drawing board. And whether it is going to be a Dreadwood, whether it is going to be a, uh, a Heartwood like we've discussed, or maybe looking at Nalrid a little bit different or Winterleaf a little bit different, uh, I, I hope people walk away with some new hope that Sylvaneth is competitive. It can do well. It's not 5-0 and o Petrifix Elite OBR, but nobody is because they're broken. <laughs> and it's also... It's so much more satisfying when you win. If you win with the top, top dog, then ultimately there's a part of your brain going, that wasn't me, that was my list. With Sylvaneth, if you win, when I went, when I got third at finals, went five and one, like that was me. I really felt that I had, I'd built this list, I'd crafted it myself and it was me playing it, me um, driving it that got that win. Uh, and yeah, and that's the satisfaction of Sylvaneth more than anything else. Um, if you want to chat to me, then uh, I'm on Twitter, LHWAOS. Uh, you can also chat to me in the Silvernet WhatsApp chat as well. If you want a link to that, then let me know on TGA or on Twitter, and I can happily uh, get you involved in that. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's about it. Shout outs too many to list. Everyone who knows me, hello. Um, hopefully, we'll be out of lockdown soon, and I can see everyone for some games and some tournaments soon. All right, well, we'll have to get on the show again soon because it sounds like we've got a round two when it comes to uh, getting those Kurnoff Hunters and getting the arguments. Oh, yeah. like maybe we'll do like a Change My Mind Kurnoff Hunter, like uh, bows are the best, Change My Mind, and you can all debate if Kurnoff Hunter sides, bows or um, swords are the best. Um, but this was awesome. I really enjoyed this chat. It's got me excited about Sylvaneth. The chat's excited about Sylvaneth. I can't wait to see more Sylvaneth on the table because it is completely underrepresented, and that is a crime. It's a crime to the Parthian of Sigma uh, because the best Sylvaneth is not Cities of Sigma. Um, despite what people believe, it's not Living City. It's in your own book. Um, so do enjoy 100%. it. Definitely. All right. Thanks, folks. I'm going to close out the show. Have a great day. And... Uh, and don't forget your triumph. I think that's relevant right now. Don't forget your triumph. <laughs>